Hallelujah. Thank you, band, for that wonderful introduction to the Word of the Lord. Amen. It's, it's always so nice to get up here after praise and worship and after the band and the orchestra and Pastor Zach has led us into the presence of the Lord. Amen. Makes it that much easier for me to give the Word, and I believe that much easier for you to receive the Word. Tonight we're going to continue in the, the parable of the prodigal son, part three. The reason that I'm spending more time on this than usual is because it's the longest of the parables in the Bible, and there's just so much to cover. And also, there's a lot that we can learn from it. Before I go any further, let's just go to the Lord in prayer. One more time, ask for His anointing to be upon you and upon me. Can we do that? Amen. Father God, we thank you once again for your spirit that's in this place. We thank you, Father, that you've brought us this far through the week, through heartaches and through through difficulties, through trials and tribulations, and we are once again in the house of the Lord. And I thank you, God, that we can be in your house tonight, God. Take a moment to get away from all of the things of this week and just sit at your feet and choose the better portion. So, God, I pray that you would anoint this evening, that you would anoint me, that you would anoint my mouth, my mind, my body. Father God, strengthen me to do your will and speak your word this evening with clarity, without distraction or disruption. I pray, Father, that you would anoint your people to hear and not just hear, but to receive, Father God. And then not just to receive, but to respond as well. We give you the praise and we give you the glory for the word that's about to be spoken in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Like I said, one of the reasons that I am spending more time on this than usual is because there's so many things that we can learn from this word. But most importantly, I don't want us to forget that every single one of us, church, have the potential of being prodigal, just like this individual in this scripture. Every single one of us have the potential of going astray. Every single one of us have the potential of making a wrong choice and a wrong decision. Every single one of us, and maybe some of us have been there, have the potential of winding up in a pig pen, just like this individual did. So God gives us the word that we might avoid these mistakes. And this is why I want to spend as much time as I have so we can learn from this word, so we can get as many things as we can out of it that we don't follow in the footsteps of this younger son. Amen? And so there might be some things that we can learn as a parent, like this father demonstrated, and there might be some things that we can learn as a son or as just a son of the father as well. What we've looked at, I always like to recap, but I just want to take a few minutes to get us up to, uh, up to par, uh, get us uh, up to where we might have left off last week. But in the first week, church, we looked at the sun and what was lying at the center of his heart, we, what was lying at the center of his soul. We, we looked at what was the abundance of his heart and we discovered that it was me, myself, and I, because when he opened his mouth... He reflected nothing more than what his wants were and what his desires were. We discovered that there was this spirit of pride had taken root in the soil of his soul, and it caused him, church, to stray away from the Father. It caused him to stray away from his Father's authority and rule and wisdom and counsel and advice and direction and all the things that could cause him to prosper. That's what we looked at in the first week, that pride began to grow in the soil of his soul. And instead of enjoying success... Instead of enjoying prosperity, instead of in finding the favor of God and the blessings of God in his life, where does he end up? He ends up in a pig pen. That's what we looked at in verse in, in the first week. And the fact that not only 
did he turn away from his father one time? He actually turned away from his father two times. There were two occasions where he should have been with the father and he turned away. We'll look at that again a little bit later. But last week, part two uh, of the prodigal son, we looked quite a bit at the father. We looked at his unwillingness to compromise in the midst of his son's rebellion. Uh, We looked at the fact that when he could have caved in, when he could have eased up, when he could have reduced the responsibilities on this younger son who didn't seem to be content in the household, uh, he didn't do that. He, he, He did not show favoritism to the younger son just to keep peace or just to keep him at home. In other words, what we learned last week was that the father stood for what was right and he trusted God to take care of the rest. Amen. How many of you know that the best, uh, the best way to have a son come home, the best way for a daughter to come home is to put our trust in God. The, the, the best individual for us to hope in and confide in and trust in when there seems to be a situation that we, we want to see changed is, is to put it in the hands of God and trust in God. And this is what we learned last week. It's what the father had done. He had trained up his son in the way that he should go so that when his son was older, the father trusted he might wander a little bit, but somewhere along the way, because I've entrusted him to the father, he's going to make his way back home. He raised up his child in the way that he should go. The father knew that he had the confidence in that he knew that he had sown the seeds of salvation into his older son. And no matter how far away from God, he tried to get, he knew that those words were the power of God unto salvation. He knew that those words would not return void, but they would accomplish the purpose and the reason that he sowed them into his son's life. Why do you think we as parents sow the word of God into our kids' life? So it's at one point in their own life where they come to their, their own decision to serve the father. You see, I don't want my kids serving God because I told them to. I want them serving God because they want to, because they desire to, because they have come into a right relationship with God all on their own. And the only one that can make that happen in reality is the father. We can direct them, we can guide them, we can sow the seeds of salvation into their life. But God is the one that has to finally call them home. God is the one that has to reveal himself in the right way at the right time to bring them to a place of repentance and restoration, just like happened in this young man's life. You see, the father clearly understood, like I said last week, that sometimes God allows us to fall into hard places in order to soften our soul. You see, sometimes God lets our resources run dry so that we go running to him. Sometimes he lets our wisdom fail and he lets our strength fail and he lets our our wealth fail and he lets everything that we think we can do on our own fail. He lets the well run dry so that we go running to him. It's what happened in this parable. We as parents need to learn that same thing that sometimes, church, as difficult as it might be and hard as it might be, We have to let our kids fall sometimes. And the reality is God loves us so much that he lets us fall sometimes because he knows where he wants us to be. And he knows what it's going to take for us to get there. He knows what it's going to take to change the soil of your soul. He knows what it's going to take to finally change the way you think and change your mind and change the path that you're walking on. So sometimes he lets us fall to hard places in order to change the soil of our soul. The father understood that his son's heart had to be humbled. 
No matter what the father tried, his son's heart was still full of pride. No matter what rules he had, his, his, his son's heart was still filled with pride. No matter what he tried to do to soften and change the soil of his son's soul, it didn't work. But he knew, he understood that his son's heart had to be humbled, so he turned him over to God. And God did what the father could never do. It's amazing what God does when we turn our situation over to him. Amen. We might not like what he does, but God's got a way of getting things done and he's got a way of getting them done right. The father understood his son's heart needed to be humbled. And I'm not sure if you've ever considered this church, but I want you to think about it for a moment. I want you to understand that Jesus Christ himself came from a palace to a pigsty as well. I want you to understand that he came from the throne room of God into the pig pen of this world. I want you to remember that he was born in a feeding trough. I want you to remember that he left the highest place of heaven and was born into a pig pen. He was born into an animal pen. He was surrounded by the same things that this that this prodigal son was surrounded by. I think we need to understand that, that the Son of God walked in the filth of this world. He was surrounded by sin. He was surrounded by unrighteousness. He was surrounded by wickedness and selfishness and envy and greed. He was surrounded by the filthy flesh of this world. And the only way for him to make his way back to the Father, I want you to think about this and I want you to understand it. The only way for the Son of God, who who was also called the Son of Man, like we've learned about, the only way for him to make his way back to the the Father, the only way for Him to become exalted, the only way for Him to, to find that, that, that rightful place beside the Father, the only way for Him to receive the name which was above every name was for Him to humble Himself. It was for Him to come to that place of complete surrender and complete humility before the Father. Where he bowed down and said, not my will, but thy will be done. Now listen to me, church. He had to surrender himself. What you and I have to understand, remember that he was not just the son of God. He was the son of man. He was the son of Mary. He was born of flesh. And the only way for flesh to stand before the father is through the doorway of humility. The only way for Jesus Christ to return to the rightful place that he deserved to be at was through the doorway of humility. He humbled himself, the Bible says, to the point of death. And because he did, then he was exalted to a place of honor. Then he was exalted to a place where he was seated beside the Father. As an innocent man, he humbled himself. Here's why I say all that. This is what you need to understand, church. He had to make himself guilty On our behalf, the only way for us, the same way, to be raised up is through the doorway of humility. The father understood this with his own son. The only way that my son will ever be exalted to a rightful place in this palace, the only way for him to truly sit at this table as my son, will be for him to have to enter through the doorway of humility. The Father understood this, church. He understood, listen, you all know as well as I do that the Heavenly Father could have intervened on Christ's behalf. The Father in this is the same as our Father. I'm making a correlation here so you can understand the two. That the Father in heaven could have intervened on Christ's behalf. The Father in heaven could have bailed out His Son. He could have kept Christ from the cross. He could have kept Him from suffering. He could have kept Him from pain. But He didn't. 
Because God knew that Christ had to humble himself, not because he was guilty, but because we were. Because we were guilty, Christ had to humble himself. And because Christ humbled himself, he was exalted. And because Christ humbled himself, now we can be exalted too. But the reality is, you and I must walk through that same doorway that Christ walked through. And it is the doorway of humility. It is the doorway of complete surrender. It is the doorway of consecration to the will and the government and the authority of the Father. This is exactly what Jesus Christ did and is as an innocent man. So how much more should we as guilty men have to humble ourselves? Jesus Christ did it as an innocent man. How much more should we as guilty men bow ourselves before the Father and humble ourselves so that he might lift us up? How dare we exalt ourselves above what Christ was willing to do? Who, who, even though he came in the form of God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped. But he emptied himself. He humbled himself. How much more should we, as filthy flesh, have to enter through that doorway of humility? This father knew this about the son. Because this father, who knows, he had to enter through that same doorway. This father also had to enter through the doorway of humility. We don't know what kind of lifestyle he had. We don't know what God had to bring him through. But we know one thing. He must have learned along the way that there is a doorway to humility that brings us to a place of exaltation. And he said, my son will have to go through that doorway. As much as it might hurt, as much as it might pain, I'm trusting my father to bring him to that place. So... How much more must we pronounce ourselves guilty? You see, Jesus had to make himself guilty. He was innocent. He had to make himself guilty. He had to confess something that he was not guilty of. He had to say, I'm guilty. I take on the form of man. I will, I will bear their guilt. I will bear their shame. I will pay their price. So how much more should we have to pronounce and announce ourselves guilty? How much more should we have to say, I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against earth like this prodigal son did? Remember, this son's father was a wealthy man. He had messengers. He had servants. In my estimation, it doesn't say this in the Bible, but I'm just, uh, I read Bible history. I read the way families operated. I studied this. And in my estimation, the father knew what his son was up to. In my estimation, the father knew where his son was. The father knew what his son was doing. The father knew the, 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 the things that the son was wrapped up in because our father knows everything we do. You understand? This is why I believe it. At this point where we left off last week, church, at this point where the son had lost everything, where he had spent every dime that he had, when, when he lost everything, the Bible says he was in need. At this point, he should have gone to the father. At this point, he should have bent the knee. At this point, he should have confessed himself guilty. At this point, he should have crucified pride, but he didn't. Instead of returning to the father... Where we left off last week, instead of going to the Father at this particular passage in Scripture and yoking himself once again to the government of the Father and the authority of the Father, instead of submitting and yoking and yielding himself to the government of his righteous Father, what did he do? 
He went and yoked himself to a foreigner, the Bible said. He went and yoked himself to a stranger. He went and became a slave to sin. The Bible literally is telling us he became a slave to sin. And instead of church surrendering to the father, he surrendered to a foreigner. And he found himself in a mess because of it. You see, pride led him farther and farther away from the Father, and it led him farther and farther away from the faith. We need to be careful of that, because when you allow pride to operate, you will end up farther from the Father and farther from the faith. What you need to understand, and I I just want to close out with this again, we need to understand the Father could have wired the Son some money. The Father could have paid off his debt and negotiated on his behalf. He could have bailed him out of the situation that he found himself in, but he didn't because the Son would have never come to the place of humility that he did. The Father knew that if I intervene right now while God is doing his greatest work, if I intervene right now while this young man's heart is being softened, while God is doing something that I haven't been able to do, if I intervene now and bail him out, he'll never wear my ring, he'll never wear my robe, he'll never sit at my table, I'll never celebrate the return of my son if I intervene in the work of God. And so he turned him over to God, and guess what happened? The son eventually came home. His heart was humbled. If he would have intervened, the son would have never came to his senses, like the Bible said. So like we learned last week, instead of rewarding the rebellion of his son, the father put his trust in God. And because of it, as we're going to pick up this week, the son came to his senses Because of it, the son finally understood the error of his ways. And like I said last week, he pronounced himself guilty. Pride was crucified there in the pig pen, and he said, I am guilty. No longer did he blame his father for his behavior. No longer did he blame his brother or his neighbor or his friends. Or or no longer did he make any excuses. No longer did he point the finger. He took personal responsibility for his situation and his life, and he pronounced himself guilty. And that is the beginning of restoration. The only way you and I will ever be restored to the Father is when we are willing to enter through that doorway of humility and pronounce ourselves guilty. That's where we left off last week until you and I are willing to stand before God and say, God, I have sinned against heaven and I've sinned against earth or I've sinned against my brother. I've sinned against my wife or I've sinned against my kids until we're willing to enter through that doorway. We will not find restoration. What I want us to look at is verse 17, where it says, and he came to his senses It's also read and it's interpreted that he returned to his senses. And the reality is, church, that we can't return to something unless we've left it. We can't return to something unless we have walked away from it, unless we've turned our backs on it. We can't return to something, church, unless we have shunned it and despised it or or neglected it to some degree in our lives. Therefore, what this passage is telling me is that somewhere in this young man's life, he left his right senses behind. It says he returned to his senses. Somewhere in this young man's life, he must have left his senses behind. Somewhere in this young man's life, he must have walked away from right thinking. Somewhere he turned his back on right reasoning, church. Somewhere in this young man's life, he failed to guard his mind and he failed to guard his thoughts. And because of it, he ended up in a, in a place of poverty. Before you know it, this young man's thought process became perverted. 
And I don't mean just sexually perverted, even though he demonstrated perversion, because as soon as he left, he went and found himself some hookers. And so not only did he have sexually perverted thinking, he just had perverted thinking. This is what it means. His thought process became distorted. His thought process became destructive. His thought process became contaminated and and corrupted, church. And it led him farther away from the Father and farther away from faith. Because his thought process, because he left right thinking behind and because he left righteous thinking behind, he walked away from favor and he walked away from blessing and he walked away from prosperity. I want you to understand that whenever you leave righteous thinking behind, you're never going to walk into prosperity. You're never going to find favor. You're never going to find the blessings of God when you leave right thinking behind. This is what it means. You can only return to your right senses if you've left them behind. And somewhere this young man made a willing choice to leave his right thinking behind. Maybe it's because he stopped praying. Maybe it's because he stopped reading. Maybe it's because he stopped going to the temple and listening to the words of the Lord be read for hour upon hour like they used to do in the temple. I don't know what caused him to turn away from his right thinking, but the fact is somewhere he walked away from it. Somewhere he shunned it. Somewhere he despised it. Somewhere he rejected it. We know in his father's household, his father was giving right instruction. His father was giving godly advice. His father was giving ways that he could find blessing. And this young man chose to reject it and despise it and walk away from it. He shunned it. We do the same exact thing. We turn a deaf ear to the word of God. We turn away from right thinking. We shun it in so many different areas of our lives. We're going to look at it. I'm not saying you're all doing that tonight, but we, we need to understand is to guard ourselves that we don't do the same thing as this young man because it brought poverty into our life, into his life. Every decision he made along the way, after he left right thinking behind, every decision he made was wrong until he came to his senses. Every single decision he made, you read it, led him farther away from the Father, farther away from his faith, deeper into pain, deeper into poverty, deeper into destruction. And the same thing will happen in our lives. Until we have right thinking, our decisions can't be right. Our decisions can't be trusted. Our thoughts and the choices that we make in life are corrupted and they're, they're deceitful. They'll lead us in the wrong path. It's exactly what happened in this young man's life. Listen, we've seen it in Jonah. Jonah walked away from the word of the Lord. He walked away from right thinking. And one choice after another choice after another choice was wrong. It was obvious in his life. You know the story. He made one bad choice after another. And where did he end up? He ended up in the belly of a whale. Every choice he made was wrong. Every decision he made was wrong until he came to his senses after three days in the belly of a whale. I said it before. God will take us wherever he has to take us to turn our thinking around. God will take us wherever he has to take us in order to bring us back to our senses, in order to bring us back to right thinking and righteous thinking to where the decisions we make are right. We know that that he repented while he was laying in the belly of the whale. He confessed. He he confessed himself guilty in the belly of the whale, just like the prodigal did in the pig pen. He confessed himself guilty. And what happened? The Lord rose him up 
spit them out on the shore. And he had a choice to make. Am I going to make a right decision or a wrong one? He made the right one. And he went to Nineveh and he did exactly what God told him to do. And what came of it? A blessing, a reward. The entire, the entire city got saved. This is the power of following the word of God. It's the power of right thinking. And it also demonstrates the power of wrong thinking. We've seen it in David with the story of Bathsheba. Commits adultery and then one decision after another was all wrong until he too fell on his face. Repented and said, God, the same exact thing that the prodigal said. I have sinned against heaven and earth. I have sinned. I am guilty, God. This was the prayer where he cried out when he said Psalm 51 was his prayer after search me, O God. He knew he was guilty. See if there be any way within me. Know my thoughts. Examine me through and through. This was the heart's cry. Listen, he found himself guilty and he cried out to God and God exalted him. God restored him. Yeah, there were some consequences because there will always be consequences to our sin. We can't avoid them. But it doesn't mean God won't exalt us. It doesn't mean God won't restore us. It doesn't mean God won't put us in a place of honor. It doesn't mean any of those things. Yes, he will. There might be consequences of our sin. But listen to me. We have to maintain right thinking. We saw it in this young man. Proverbs 23, 7 says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. As a man thinketh, thinks in his heart, so he is. And this young man's thought process led him down the wrong path. This young man's thought process led him to poverty. This, this young man's thought process led him to a pig pen. It caused him to yoke himself to a complete stranger and a foreigner. His thought process caused him to become a slave to sin. And it'll do the same thing in our life as well, church. Because when our thought process, and you can write this one down, when our thought process is contrary to the word of God, we will suffer. When our thought process, when the decisions that we make, when the choices that we make, when the the thought process of our life is contrary to the word of God, you and I will suffer. Because because when our thought process is not uh, not um, equal or level to the word of God, it'll lead us in the wrong direction. It'll lead us away from the will of the Father, just like it did in all these individuals that I've just looked at, church. When our thought process contrary to the word of God will suffer. Example, when a husband thinks he's more important than his wife, that relationship is going to suffer. When a wife thinks she's more important than her husband, that relationship is going to suffer. Why do I say that? Because the word of God says that we are to consider others more important than ourselves. And we are to look out for the interests of others, not just the interests of ourselves. And when we live and and make decisions that are contrary to that word, we'll suffer. When you have a relationship where the husband thinks he's the greatest and the wife thinks she's the greatest, it's going to create conflict and that relationship will suffer because that's not the attitude that we're to have. And when that individual chooses to live contrary to the word of God, suffering is going to take place. The same thing goes for a child when he tries to rebel and not obey the advice and the direction and the will of the father or the mother. They're going to suffer just like the prodigal son did. What does the Bible say? The Bible says that we are to obey our parents as unto the Lord. It says that we are to honor our mother and father. And when our life and our thought process is contrary to that word of God, guess what? They're going to suffer. A kid that, uh, at least my kids do, when my kids uh, make choices and decisions that are contrary to my will in the household, they're going to suffer a little bit. 
It's not going to be comfortable for them for a little while. And and I'm sure that the father here in this story demonstrated some of that. And it might be one of the reasons that the son decided, I don't like this anymore. It's a little too uncomfortable for me to follow his will. I'm going to go live on my own. But you see, this is what you need to understand. With This is what we're trying to say when we live contrary, when our thought process is contrary to the word of God. Suffering is going to take place in our life. When our thought process is contrary to the word of God. It is perverted. And again, I'm not saying sexually, but when our thought process is contrary to the word of God, it's distorted, it's corrupt, it becomes contaminated, it's not accurate. And and it can lead us to make the wrong choices and the wrong decisions and suffering will take place. Listen, the reality is we live in a society where everything is relative. We live in a society today where there doesn't seem to be any black and white, doesn't seem to be any more right and wrong. Everyone does. The Bible says what is right in their own eyes. If it's right unto me, then it's right. You see, it used to be when I was growing up, things were right and things were wrong. You used to be taught it in school. This is right and this is wrong. You used to be taught it in Sunday school and we still do here. You used to be taught at home. This is right and this is wrong. But we're living in a society where there is no right and There is no wrong. I say what's right and I say what's wrong. This is the kind of society that we're living in, church. And why do you think society is suffering? Why do you think that even the church is suffering? Because too many have adopted that same mentality, that same thought process. Why do you think America is suffering? Because it used to be a righteous nation that understood what was right and what was wrong. Understood what the will of the Father was and what the will of the devil was. But now we're living in a society where everyone does what's right in their own eyes and we're suffering because of it. Because our thinking is wrong, church. Because our thinking in society has become corrupt. It's become contaminated. It has become distorted. It's become perverted. This is the reality of the the society that we're living in because our thought process as a nation even and, and even as God's people fail to reflect the word of the Lord anymore. Because our thinking has become corrupted and and compromised and even crooked. You see, I don't get ahead of myself. But if you don't have this in your life on a regular basis, you can't think straight. If you don't have this in your life on a regular basis, you can't make right choices and you can't make right decisions. You at least can't make righteous ones because this is the the wisdom of God. This is the mind of Christ. This is the mind of God. And when we don't have this planted in the soil of our soul, when this isn't in our mind, how do you think you're going to make a right choice or a right decision? You're going to guess every day. You're going to be led astray by every wind of doctrine, by every word that comes into your life. Anytime someone speaks into your life, you better go to the word and say, I need to think right. Anytime, anytime you come into a thought process where you got to make a decision, the first thing you got to say was, let me go see what the word of God says. Let me go see what the mind of Christ says. Let me go see what the mind of my father, which is in heaven, says. And whatever he says, I'm going to do. 
Let me see what the Holy Spirit has to say. You see, we don't even take time to go into a prayer closet when we're faced with a life and death situation and say, God, I need to hear from you. God, I need some wisdom. God, I need some advice. God, I need some counsel. We run to Dr. Phil and we run to Oprah. We pick up the phone and we call some foreigner, some stranger in a far off land. And we got to get some wacky word from them. When God is saying, get on your knees and listen to the Father, I'll tell you what to do. Amen. This is what it means, church, to have a right mind and right thinking. The number one problem I promise you this young son has was he stopped going to the prayer closet because he stopped going to the Word because he stopped listening to godly counsel in his life. You're going through a rough time and a rough situation. You better get yourself in the Word. You better get yourself in prayer. You better get yourself to church. You better open up your ears to the Word of God and the Spirit of the Lord in your life. Or you're going to find yourself in in pocket poverty and spiritual poverty as well. Don't follow in the footsteps of this prodigal son. Listen to me. We're living in a society that's thought process has become corrupted by pride and by sin and by Satan and by flesh, church. And the only way to change that is by returning to our senses, is by returning to a right and righteous thought process. Why do you, why do you think the Word of God says in Romans 12, too? Do not be conformed to this world. Do not be like it in any way you can say in the example. Don't, don't act like it. Don't dress like it. Don't talk like it. Don't carry yourself like it. Do not be conformed to the likeness of this world. Listen, I hate to say it, and I don't want to pick on it, but we're living in a generation where you line up Christian kids and worldly kids, you can't tell a difference. You line up Christian women and and, and worldly women, you can't tell a difference. You line up Christian men with their drawers hanging down, and and you can't tell a difference between the things of this world and and the things of God. Listen, I don't mean to be old fogey and I don't mean to be insensitive, but I want you to understand there needs to be a difference between the family of God and the people of this world. There must be. Do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world. Paul was saying, look, you, you've been a copycat to this world long enough, he was saying to the, to the Roman church. You look like him, you walk like him, you talk like him, and you think like him as, as well. Because he went on to say, your number one problem with your spiritual life, your number one problem with, with your spiritual well-being is your thought process. Because he said, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, by changing the way you think, by changing your thought process, he was saying. And he told the Romans, the only way you're ever going to be able to prove the will of the Father, the only way you're ever going to be able to prove that which is good and acceptable and perfect is by changing the way you think. By by conforming your thought process to the word of the Lord. You see, they thought, oh, it was just enough to confess Jesus and not conform to the word of the Lord. Listen, I don't care when you confessed Christ, whether it was five when you were five years old, 15 years old, or 50 years old. God's more concerned about you conforming to his image than just confessing. We must conform ourselves to the image of Christ, not of this world. 
not of this world. And we've got to do that by transforming church the way that we think. I hope you're getting this. The prodigal son, listen, until he came to his senses, he couldn't do the father's will. Until he came to his senses, until he changed his thought process, he couldn't be pleasing, he couldn't be good, he couldn't make the right choice or the right decision. Because his thinking was all messed up. Because his thinking was all distorted, because his thinking had become perverted. Listen, it's the trouble with the world out there. You think the devil is quiet all day? You think the only person speaking into an individual's life is God? There's thousands of demons and devil and thousands of of wicked spirits sowing words into people's lives to disrupt their way of thinking, to, 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 to pervert their thought process into thinking, oh, I can go through life all on my own. It perverts. Listen, and I'm not saying this in a negative way to condemn, but Oprah Winfrey's thought process is perverted when she thinks that there's a thousand ways to the Father. There is only one way to the Father, and that is through Jesus Christ, our Lord. That is what the Bible says. That is the thought process of the Word of God. And I'm not saying it in a condemning way. I'm telling you what the devil is doing. He is changing and deceiving and distorting the thought process of God's creation. That's what's going to lead people to hell. It's their, 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 their perverted thought process. I can get to God in my own wisdom. I can do it on my own. I don't need God. I, I'll lean on my own understanding. I don't need to acknowledge God in my finances. That's, that's my personal area. That's, that, that, that's my business. That's not God's. It's, it's distorted thinking. It's perverted. It's wrong. I'm telling you it's wrong because the Word of God says it's wrong. And we've got to come to this, this decision and conclusion in our life that there's, there's some things like this young man did. I'm thinking some wrong things. I'm doing some wrong things. We've got to come to that point every day, willingness to say, God, forgive me. I've been thinking the wrong way. I've been following the wrong thought process. I've not conformed myself to, to, the, to the thought process of your word. This is what we need to do, church. Listen. His thought process was all messed up, and his thoughts led him to poverty. His thoughts led him away from the Father. And away from blessing. But here, in the pig pen of life, goodness, I didn't realize what time it was already. Here in the pig pen of life, it was here in the mess that he made himself where he came to his senses. It was here in the pig pen of life where his thoughts were renewed, where his thoughts were transformed, where he returned to right thinking, church, where his thoughts began to conform to the word of the Lord in his life. And here, as his thought process began to become conformed, as his thought process began to be renewed, he said, I'm going to do something. He was thinking all the wrong things, making all the wrong choices. His thought process was leading him here. And all of a sudden, he came to his senses, the Bible said. And he said, I will set out and go back to my father. And I will say to him, I have sinned. And I want to stop there first. He said, I have sinned. Prior to this moment in his life, church, he didn't think he was sinning. Prior to this, prior to this moment in his life while he was wallowing around with the pigs, he didn't think he was doing anything wrong. 
He didn't think he was offending anybody. He didn't think he was at fault. He didn't think that, that the choices he made is what led him to where he was. He didn't think. He didn't think the right way. He didn't think it was his fault. He didn't think that he sinned. But here, he came to his right senses. And when he came to his right senses, what was the first thing he realized? I have sinned. I've sinned. This is, this is what we need to understand. The reality is, listen, I know, I know it's not a, uh, it doesn't seem to be a popular doctrine anymore, but there is such a thing called sin. There is a thing called sin. It's all over written in the Bible. I know that you don't hear it from a lot of TV preachers. You don't hear it from a lot of pulpits. You certainly don't hear it out in the world. But there is a thing called sin. I want you to understand, church, that Jesus Christ died for your sins, not your mistakes. He died for your sins and not your shortcomings. He he died for your sins and not your excuses. He died for your sins and not just your failures. You, You see, we like to put different words on them. Well, that's a mistake. That's a shortcoming. That's that's just a little character flaw that I have. We like to we like to paint pretty pictures on it because we don't like the word sin. But I want you to know that Jesus Christ died for your sins. He died for my sins. I want you to understand, you can call it whatever you want, but gossip, according to the word of God, is sin. You can call it whatever you want. You can dress it up and pretty it up however you want, but greed is sin. Adultery is sin. Fornication is sin. Abortion is sin. Homosexuality is sin. Greed is sin. Jealousy is sin. Envy is sin. Lying is a sin. Cheating is a sin. Looking upon any unclean thing is sin. It's sin. And each and every day, we've got to realize we have the capability and the potential to sin. Not just make a mistake. Not just slip. Not just stumble. Not just fall. We have the potential to sin. And this is the first revelation that he came to. When he came to his right senses, all this time, I've been doing nothing but sinning. All this time, I have sinned against heaven And I have sinned against my father. This was the revelation he came to. This is the revelation we have to have every day. This is the revelation society needs. This is the revelation America needs. This is the revelation that this world needs. They need to come to their right senses and confess and admit, I've sinned. I've sinned, God. I'm not going to call it anything else. I'm not going to make excuses anymore. I've sinned. Go ahead and put on the music because I don't know where I'm going to end. But I'm going to start bringing this to a close. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and earth, and I no longer am worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. Make me like one of your hired men. The first thing he was willing to do after he confessed his sin, church, was to enter through this doorway of humility that I talked about. The first thing he was willing to do was to make himself nothing. Just like Jesus did, he humbled himself. And he made himself nothing. He was the son of a rich man. He had a seat in that household. He had a position in that household. He had a place in that household. But he made himself nothing. And he said, if I'm going to return to my father, I've got to do it through the doorway of humility. And this is what he said. Make me like, this is what I will say to my father. Make me like one of your hired men. Please understand me, church, that humility is the ultimate sign of a right mind. Humility is the ultimate sign of a mind that makes right choices and right decisions. Humility is the ultimate sign of a mind that 
that is controlled and ordered by the voice and the word of the Lord. That's that's what humility is a sign of. But pride, church, is the ultimate sign of a corrupt mind. Pride is the ultimate sign of a mind that has a distorted thought process. And before I bring this to a close, I want you to I want you to realize and understand how strongly I believe this. The word of God in Proverbs 11:2 says that wisdom comes to the humble, but pride leads to a disgrace. Wisdom is associated with humility. So when you find a humble man, take their advice. When you find a humble lady, listen to the words that they speak into your life because wisdom comes to the humble. It makes its way into the life of the humble, but pride leads to a disgrace. I want you to know, church, that, that, that I, don't, I don't make a habit of trusting the decisions of any prideful individuals. Me personally, I don't trust the decisions and the choices of prideful individuals. I don't listen to their advice. I don't follow in their footsteps. I don't take their counsel. Uh, I, I don't listen to the words that they speak. Even if they stand behind a pulpit, if I sen- sense a spirit of pride, I don't listen to the words that they speak. Because what their pride is revealing is that there is, there is a distorted thought process going on in their life. That there's something about the way that they think that is corrupt. There's something about the way that they think that is incorrect. There's something that has the potential, church, to bring disgrace into their life. And if I follow in their footsteps, I might be disgraced as well. This is the power of pride and the power of humility. The reason I am at this church and I am serving under Pastor Allen is because he is a humble man that knows how to humble himself in the sight of the Lord. I listen to every word that he speaks. I take his counsel. I take his advice because I know that wisdom comes to the humble, but the prideful man will face disgrace somewhere in his life. Be very careful who you listen to. Be very careful whose advice you take. Be very careful whose counsel and words you heed. Because if you follow in their footsteps, you might face disgrace just like they do. Humility is the ultimate sign of a right mind, a mind that stand, that understands right from wrong, a mind that's ordered by the words of the Lord, a mind that can prove the will of the Father, just like Jesus did, church, when he bowed in the garden and he said, not my will, but thy will be done. Not my will, but thy will be done. And this prodigal did the very same thing. Listen to me, church. I'm going to start bringing this to a close in his pig pen. In his moment of need, because his father trusted God, because he surrendered him to the father in heaven, this prodigal son crucified pride. He lowered himself and in the pig pen, he made himself an altar, the pig trough where he was feeding the pigs. I can just picture it. The pig trough where he was feeding the pigs. I believe became an altar in his life. I believe he bowed down beside those pigs that were squealing, that were slobbering all over in that trough. And he made himself an altar right there in the midst of his pig pen. And he confessed himself guilty. He confessed his sin. And, and I say all that because I want you to understand, church, that in the midst of your mess, whatever it might be, you can build an altar. In the midst of... In, in the middle of, uh, of a, the belly of a whale, Jonah did the same thing. He built an altar in the belly of a whale and God brought him up. 
This prodigal son made an altar in the middle of a pig pen, and God brought him up. David, in the midst of his suffering and pain, whatever place he could find, he built himself an altar. He confessed himself guilty, and God lifted him up. Brought them all up to a, a, a proper place. The most amazing thing about what the prodigal son in this story is, and I've got to try to find a place to close, is not what he said, but what he did. It's not what he said, it's what he did. And we're going to finish up there next week because here's what, here's what I want you to understand. A lot of people stop after what the prodigal did. A lot of people will say, I'm going to do this. I, I, I'm going to go to the Father. I'm going to get things right. I'm going to say I'm sorry. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to start reading my Bible. I'm going to start praying. I'm going to start doing all these things. And they never do them. But in this story, the prodigal son did more than say I'm going to do something. He actually did it. He got up and he went to his father. And we're going to look at that journey next week. But tonight, here's what I believe that the Holy Spirit is saying, church. He is saying that if we need to come to our senses, we need to confess our sins, we need to consecrate ourselves as a servant like he did. He consecrated himself as a servant, and then he came to the Father. Here's what I'm going to close with. Here's what I, under, what I want you to understand. All of us have to be willing to confess. When you come to your senses... You've got to confess your sin first. You've got to confess yourself guilty. The second thing and the next thing that you've got to do is you've got to consecrate yourself to the will of the Father. You've got to consecrate yourself to the position of a servant that says, God, I had a lot of my own plans. I had a lot of my own desires. I had a lot of all these things that I wanted to achieve in my life, but I am consecrating myself to you as a servant. Nothing more than a servant. Everything I am, everything I hope to be, I'm yours, God. Order my life. Order my footsteps. Tell me what to do, and I'll do it. This happened in this young man's life. And the last thing he did, which we'll look at next week, is he came. He confessed, he consecrated, and he came. If you're willing tonight to examine your life and say, God, i got to confess some things, I want you to stand to your feet with me. If you're here tonight and you say, God, I'm willing to consecrate myself to you. I'm willing to become that servant that you want me to be where everything about my life, I'm yielding to you, to your authority, to your government in my life. I'm consecrating it to you. Maybe you've done all that and you're at the stage of this prodigal son where now all you got to do is come. If that's you tonight, you're saying, God, I'm coming. I'm coming to you. I'm going to find my way back home and find my place in your palace. If that's your prayer, let's pray. Heavenly Father. I thank you for your word this evening. I thank you for the anointing of your Holy Spirit. I know I might have had a difficult time trying to figure out where to end, God, but you know exactly what you're doing. And I pray, God, that we would be able to follow in the footsteps of this man who came to his senses. And the first thing he was willing to do, Father God, was to say, I've sinned. And so, God, if there's any of us in this house tonight who have sinned against heaven, have sinned against you, have sinned against their brother, sinned against a sister... Maybe they've sinned against a family member, God. I don't know. I don't know their lives personally, but they do. And if any of us, Father God, have sinned against heaven or earth, I pray, God, that you would forgive us of our sins. God, if, I pray that you would forgive us for being so prideful that we might blame other individuals for the position that we're in tonight. And tonight, God, we're willing to confess ourselves guilty. God, if you, your own son was willing to humble himself and make himself guilty... How much more should we be willing to humble ourselves and confess ourselves guilty as well? 
And God, I pray that tonight we would also consecrate ourselves unto you. God, I pray that we would yoke ourselves to you and not to this world. God, that we would conform ourselves to the image of Christ and not to the image of this world. God, I pray that everyone here tonight would be willing to surrender themselves to the will of the Father and the word of the Father so that we might be an example of Jesus Christ. And God, whoever it is here tonight that you've been calling, maybe you've been calling them for a week. Maybe you've been calling them only for a day. Maybe you've just called them this evening. God, maybe you've been calling them for years and they have refused to respond to your voice. They've refused to get up and come back to the Father. They've refused to return to their senses or return to the Father. I pray that they would do that tonight. God, that all things would be made right in our relationship with you. Forgive us, purify us, and make us right with you. In Jesus' name I pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Can we just bless the Lord as always, church? Amen. I apologize for having to cut off where I was. I've led you closer to 830, so now you don't have to hang out a whole lot. But if you have a special need, I'd be happy to tarry with you. Otherwise, be prepared for next week's message. Pray for the pastor while he's gone, and we'll see you on Sunday. Amen.